Hello and welcome to episode 426 of the Crate and Crowbar, a gaming podcast being recorded on the 12th of October 2023. I'm Marsh Davis, a wriggling maggot yearning to be born anew in a dark and terrible form, <laughs> and I'm joined tonight by the modular death robot from a distant <laughs> solar system known as Tom Senior 5000 Ultra Prime. <laughs> Correct. And also, hello. Hello. <laughs> Good to have you, Tom. Um, how is it going in that distant solar system? Uh, to what, uh, what solar system do you refer to, Marsh? Is it the Rubicon system? Yes, it is. <laughs> um, I've been, played, play, been playing um, Armored Core 6 Fires of Rubicon, and it's a game about um, lovely robots shooting fireworks at each other and then dodging really fast and flying around and it's uh very beautiful and exciting and austere and full of despair um all <laughs> at the same time <laughs> because uh this is a game from uh from software at the greatest of course of uh, you know dark souls bloodborne some of the best games ever um i would say if you enjoy those games don't go into armored core looking for that sort of level of depth but if you like being a sort of weird robot man where you can change your arms and your torso and your legs and your shoulder cannons and your hand cannons at any point, it like uh, actually you know, between checkpoints, so that you can maximize your loadout to uh, rain down fire upon your enemies in uh, some lovely third-person mech combat, it is quite a fine game that I've been greatly enjoying. <laughs> I'm so in interested to hear about this because Armored Core for me was uh, a, a benighted series of games <laughs> from the yesteryear of my game reviewing days when, you know, uh, a review copy, a review disc of Armored Core would land on your desktop and your heart would just fucking plummet out of your body. Mm. Um, and I think they are actually responsible for my initial resistance to give any time <laughs> to <laughs> From Software's better games uh, like uh, Demon Souls and Dark Souls mm. um, because I hated them so much. They seem like <laughs> uniquely charmless games in which you were just this inarticulate block of metal sliding around a big grey space. Look, I'm going to say that based on your description... Not a huge amount has changed. <laughs> um, it's the first game I've played for ages where that I can think of where I haven't seen a single human face represented or pictured or anywhere at all. Like the you you are like on Rubicon and it's an abandoned planet and uh, it's being consumed by a very precious resource called coral, which is very mysterious. Um, and then there are loads of mercenary groups that move in trying to capture this stuff. Um, and you are fighting amongst kind of like abandoned cityscapes full of like skys broken skyscrapers and things like that. Um, but you're some sort of consciousness infused into a robot fighting other consciousnesses infused into robots. Um, and therefore on a sort of like <laughs> spiritual level, nothing matters. <laughs> um, however, it is a very good premise to sort of let you sort of cause chaos and carnage with your arsenal of massive, increasingly huge weapons as you kind of uh, get more money and uh, unlock new kind of uh, purchase options for your mech uh, without sort of having <laughs> the problem of humans being involved at all. Um, and the result is kind of, an interesting mix of like frustrating uh, boss fights sometimes hitting a kind of wall with the, the gear that you have then having to change up your gear and the way that your me mech is constructed in order to tackle new challenges and then gradually learn to understand that and then having the fun of unlocking better versions of the particular weapons like late um i'll give some examples so uh as I said, you've got your two hand weapons, your two shoulder weapons. Uh, the shoulder weapons, initially, like they are missile launchers, and they can lock on, or you can just like uh, like spray them out at an individual target if you need to in, in a panic. And then the, your two kind of like main weapons, they could be laser rifles. Uh, they shoot like one linear blast that can go through shields, and then or they could be submachine guns. And my favorite build is to have a very light mech that's very very fast boots really fast towards um, enemies 
and then once you're there you've got uh, like an uzi in each arm basically and then uh, you use that to rinse the shield down and then when the shield is down blast them with missiles um and what's really fun about the game is that there's lots of different ways to that's the way i like to do things but you could also um change your legs swap them out for a huge tank track um so imagine the bottom of like a world war ii tank but with a humanoid torso sprouting out of it mm. uh, and then uh because you're much heavier that means that you can equip much bigger weapons to each arm and your shoulders um so you can just fit bazookas for your arms and then bazookas for your shoulders and it looks it's the like it looks ridiculous. That's <laughs> really, really stupid. But I've had so much fun just sort of like going into missions with these bizarre, different kind of swap in and swap out uh, mechs uh, and sort of trying to take them on in these these ridiculous rigs. Uh, and like some of them, they just fail immediately. <laughs> you go in there and it's like, no, this is wrong. I've done, I've built a bad thing. And um <laughs> everything I'm shooting is missing because the enemies in this particular level are very fast. Um, or if there's like a huge, uh, you know, tanky opponent, sometimes it pays to just like stay far away from them if they've got close range weapons. So you want to rebuild your robot in that way. Um, so the a lot of fun of the game, like as a sort of moment to moment combat game, there's lots of fun dodging, hovering, um, managing your ammo, managing like, uh, when you're going to shoot, and also when you're not going to shoot. It's like jazz. It's the rockets you don't shoot that <laughs> really matter sometimes in these boss fights um, because you're trying to burst their shields. Um, so you want to burst their shields with one particular weapon, but then have bigger stuff in the background that you can bring as soon as their shields are down and they're perhaps like stunned. So there's actually there's uh, there's real craft to the kind of moment-to-moment combat, particularly in the excellent one-on-one uh, kind of... Uh, they're called ACs, these mechs, so it's mech versus mech. Um, and you go into a level and they'll just sort of show up and they might even have like a little cutscene and a line of dialogue. And they may, like, one is like, you know what, rookie? I've just realized Rubicon really needs me. But tell me, who really needs you? Um, and they'll be like, I don't know who you are. I... <laughs> I don't know where you've come from. Uh, I don't know like what your deal is, but I'm just about to have a really fantastic fireworks battle with you with just spraying rockets out of my arms um, and firing plasma. I've got like, I love, I've got like a build with like a Gatling gun in each arm and it's just absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> you sort of <laughs> run around sort of blazing, just like indiscriminately, just things are just exploding everywhere. Uh, some of the environments are explosive and dis- destructible. Uh, and I found it as like a kind of combat playground to be a lot of fun. Uh, and I've really enjoyed it on that basis. <laughs> Is it, I mean, when you say that, you know, going to some levels and then the enemies are, are too fast for the builds you're using, is it, do you get the sense that there, each level requires you to switch to a specific build in a sort of like puzzle it out kind of way? Or is it, are there like a breadth of solutions to any kind of single problem? Occasionally, I think that it definitely funnels you to, but I think it challenges you like, um, towards the end of the first act, pretty much it explicitly says you're probably going to need to change your build for this. Like you're, uh, you're a mercenary, so your handler says that to you. And um, you also have a limited number of options at that point, and so you have to be like, if you if you really enjoy missiles, but something requires a much faster build with smaller weapons, you kind of have you. It forces you to learn that. Um, but I have found that like as I get on in the game. You sort of, um, there are alternative solutions to a bunch of, like most of the average, the typical uh, combat encounters. The exceptions are the bosses, I say. I think like the bosses do require you to really spec hard for a particular um, build based on observed combat patterns. So there is Mm. definitely a degree of trial and error, uh, which is often frustrating in this sort of situation. But the great thing about it is that missions are between five and 10 minutes long. Um, and they're mostly well checkpointed and you can restart from checkpoints and every time you, you restart from a checkpoint you can rebuild your mech uh, to pay, like based on and you have access to everything that you've purchased and you can just completely respec it 
and then try again. And so, so it's, it's not the uh, sort of mech equivalent of the bonfire system from no. Dark Souls. Oh, right. Okay. No, no, it's much more iterative, um, and it, it, it doesn't punish you for changing builds. Like you'd have to pay for it. It's something that you could just freely, as soon as you bought the weapon, it's in your arsenal. You could just swap into it, mm. and it'll often just throw you directly straight into a boss fight after that. Like no run back. You know the, the classic run back from a bonfire from Dark Souls. Right. No, it's it's way way more trim, streamlined and trimmed than that. Like it's it's much more exciting and like immediate, and that's what I found like so exciting about it. Because if there was that kind of padding of of the run bag or having to fight through a few mobs to get to a boss, like the the, the, the time cost of experimenting with your mech and your build would just be too great. Um, so it's just very well thought out in terms of how its missions are, are built. Um, and having said that, there's actually like a surprising number of, sort of little secrets and things built into the levels, even though they are quite short. Um, and the levels themselves are kind of, as I said, it's, it's a very austere, like kind of initially a grey world, uh, but it is a spectacular place that I wish I sort of I want to know more about um, because it's this abandoned planet that's essentially been designed to mine this coral substance. Um, so, but whenever you look up, there there's these huge kind of superstructures, like the, uh, almost hovering cities above you, just all across the view. Um, and as like the coral spreads across the sky, it sort of burns red, and there's this very apocalyptic feeling uh, to a lot of the missions. That it, you know they didn't have to do that; they could have made this just more grey sandboxes. <laughs> um, and as you sort of like plunges further down into like different cities and things, like there's a Sometimes you, so sometimes you get to do the Death Star thing where there's like a huge thing, a skyscraper-sized uh, turbine that is creating a laser barrier um, and you sort of have to fly into it with your mech, blast a load of stuff, blast the core, uh, and then suddenly blast out as it's, you know, you've got two minutes to escape, but then suddenly you're shut into an arena and everything turns like a molten red around you because the thing is about to blow and you have to beat this really irritating, natty, fast mech in like two, one minute because like you have to beat it and then open the doors, then get out and then blast through the doors as the explosion erupts behind you. And the explosions in this game are incredible. <laughs> like, huge stuff blows up all the time and it always looks fantastic. Um, and then sometimes you might go into one of these levels and... Uh, going to like this a huge facility that's run by a, a bunch of rebels, um, and then get shot into a room where you basically have to fight a, a mobile factory, like on treads, <laughs> and, and it's got a great big it's like a great big honking sort of steam engine thing, um, with a giant spout off its back there that shoots obviously it shoots missiles at you because everything in this game shoots missiles out of every orifice at, at all times. Um, <laughs> But, but that's also its weak point. So you hover above it and firing stuff down into it as it's trying to sort of like grab you with its giant claws. Um, and it's just, it's spectacular nonsense. <laughs> really. Yeah, it's good. This sounds far, vastly more epic than my admittedly probably very jaundiced recollection of the <laughs> earlier Armored Core games. Yeah. Ah, well, do, do you feel like it has inherited anything from Dark Souls or Bloodborne in terms of the kind of, the, the, at least the, like maybe the narrative or the, the way it's it's presenting the spectacle? Uh, there is some sort of, it's hard to really tie them together. Like, obviously, like you're coming late to a dead world, which is very much a, a very Soulsy thing, um, and sort of picking up uh, little sort of... Um, you know, audio logs here and there, uh, little uh, bits of lore that you can find in the environment that also kind of drop items, which is which is pretty cool. Um, enigmatic, as I said, the guy who just announces himself <laughs> needing to, you know, needed by Rubicon. Like, that's very Dark Souls. <laughs> you, like, the first time you play that game, like, the first time, like, I remember encountering Sif, the, the giant wolf in, in Dark Souls. I was like, I didn't know what on earth was going on. I would just like wander down into this place and like, I don't know the, you know, the relevance is uh, amazing character with a fantastic backstory. And it's quite possible that the mechs have similar backstories. I don't think they do to be honest, but um, they might be tied into like deeper armor core lore. Um, but I, I would 
compare it favorably, I think most closely to the brilliant um, boss fight with I think she's called in the uh, called Maria in the the Bloodborne expansion. Um, mm. The boss you fight at the top of the clock tower, mm. and so uh, you know, like um, the great thing about both of those fight about that fight and also all the all of the fights in armored core is that your enemies have weapons that you can acquire and use as well so your movesets are comparable in some way and then it's just down to out foxing or just being faster and more reactive than your opponent and the i think it's maria um that boss fight at the top of the clock tower is very much about that it's very much like equals fighting instead of the classic you know boss fight thing of, of them being huge and you having to take them down hit their weak points no it's actually yeah. like a sort of one on one fight with someone who with similar abilities uh, and obviously like halfway through the fight uh, they gain extra abilities and their attacks get extra qual- qualities that happens in armored core dark souls and bloodborne that also happens you know across the entire yeah. series um, so but that feeling of you know battling you know that that one on one battle is is present that's always the sign of the best dark, you know, Soulsborne bosses are when they're the same scale as you. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. This boss, this, this guy's going to fuck me up. <laughs> uh. Yeah, it's like, uh, I mean, so you've got bosses in Dark Souls like Ceaseless Discharge, which is um, obviously the best name for <laughs> a boss ever, who's just like a colossal, big, giant blob who squirts, you know, acid everywhere. Um, and... Uh, that's kind of fun, <laughs> but it's nothing like you're fighting, you know, the fallen knights in that game. Mm. Uh, th- those, the for me, the, the fights that really I feel really tense about because it feels like a real sword fight or a battle, even though obviously the moves are really exaggerated and everything. Um, actually, gaining victory in those moments, uh, Armor Core does a really good job of when you actually vanquish one of these enemies. Like, there's a little slow motion moment where you get to see exactly how you defeated them like exactly the shot or the missile that got through or the the slash you get this close combat weapons as well that actually like um did for them hmm. and that that's very very rewarding because it also reinforces the fact that you know um the projectiles you're firing are physically interacting with the enemy that you're fighting hmm. <laughs> like and uh, in, in the physics system like because it's you, you can't like you can't go to slow motion and then have like show a yeah. massive miss that you know <laughs> they somehow detonate um, does that work for the close combat weapons as well but it's it's physically uh modeled yes um the thing i'd say about the close combat weapons is that they're kind of uh they all tend to be based around like a massive lunge or a, a sequence of lunges uh and the main problem with them is targeting b- because like you can start lunging and like it's sometimes it's very fast paced and you could be above someone uh, and the mech can like jet under you and then you could just like slash into nowhere and that feels like really imprecise and weird um, because there is a lock on in, in the game and that's like super important for missiles and it's like really important for you know all the weapons uh, so mm. it can be like that's probably the weakest aspect of the combat is it, but it's also important because it doesn't use ammo you can slash whenever the ability is recharged, and that's so like it's there's a lot of you know it's a great benefit to having that in your arsenal when you've run out of missiles um, and you've run out of ammo on your, on your Gatling gun. You can always slash, and uh, I've had hilarious fights where um, when you run out of ammo on an arm, uh, the, you press the button, and the default is just to punch. <laughs> um, and I've like I have not I've not defeated someone with the punch yet. But there should be an achievement or some sort of pop up <laughs> celebration of the fact that you've managed. It does no damage. <laughs> but uh, I've accidentally punched someone and then you know slashed them with the other arm and uh, and got them. Um, but yeah, the targeting in close combat is yeah, that's mm. probably the weakest part of it. How do you how do you um, balance? I mean, how do you manage uh, ammunition in the game? Are there ammo pickups around the environment, or is it just something that recharges at certain points? So. The ammo tends to be like preloaded into your weapon as you start a mission. In some missions, like a, maybe like a quarter of the ones I've done so far, you'll get uh, towards the end of the mission, maybe like two thirds of the way through or just before a boss fight, and there will be a resupply point that will give you back uh, ammunition 
and crucially uh, healing vials or whatever they're called in this game, uh, mm. of, of which you always have three, uh, which is really interesting. So it's not an Estus Flask situation. Uh, it's a, a really ca- a resource you really have to carefully manage. Uh, for the most part, it's like um, it wants you to build your mech well and go into the thing well prepared for the, the challenge that you're going to face. Um, but then once you hit those resupply points or just before a big boss, often you're going to kind of sometimes have to die and then rebuild your mech to face that particular boss. Um, and I would be way more annoyed about that if it wasn't for the checkpointing. Because uh, if it wasn't for the fact that actually a boss fight lasts about two minutes, three minutes, and then you're back on back to the drawing board, you go back into your little menu and you, you equip all of your uh, you know, new weapons, your new loadout, and then you go back in and you sort of test it. And yeah, that for me, like is a reasonable amount of time to spend um, to kind of invent a new mech and then charge it at a boss enemy. Hmm. I'm intrigued by this. I'm intrigued. I, I don't know that it's going to be for me. I have, among my many weird things... Tom, <laughs> is that I kind of find mechs to be strangely boring. Like mm. it always feels like, hey, well, you know, we could, we could build a massive robot, and you've chosen to build it in the same shape as a person. Just feels <laughs> yeah. like a really strange choice. It's like you know, building a, a massive robot in the shape of a cow. You know, you're like, <laughs> why? Why? Why have you done that? Um, but it does intrigue and please me to know that from software hasn't been like their entire development structure hasn't been completely consumed with the production of Soulsbornean games. Yeah. Like those design paradigms aren't just going to be shoved into every single thing that they do, that they have still a lot of uh, expertise that can be turned to other types of uh, experience. And that's, 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 that's really cool. I think. Yeah. I would say that you definitely do need a degree of mech enthusiasm to enjoy this one. <laughs> I think right. if you're going to go to, Go in like I agree. Like it is very very silly. Um, um, I've I've enjoyed sort of mech games from when I very like when I started playing PC games, like the old Mech Warrior games, which are very very different. They're more sim sim games than mm. anything else. Um, I thought like the idea of being a cockpit of the mech of the mech seemed like the coolest thing ever, and never questioned the fact that why would you build it like this. Um, <laughs> Uh, but if you're looking for the, that sort of sim experience, this is not it. This is you're just you're a humanoid thing. Even if you've got tank tracks for an ass, um, <laughs> you're basically a humanoid jetting around the place, firing off rockets um, in quick succession, managing resources. Uh, that is what the game is, and don't expect uh, much plot beyond that though amazingly there is a branching story you get choices between missions and there are multiple endings with different bosses and things um and i imagine if i had the patience to actually go in and read the lore and stuff that might be quite interesting um but yeah i i like you i'm also very happy that they've just made an action game Mm. which they're really really good at (laughs) uh i think uh, sometimes coverage of the souls games focuses on the narrative and the lore and you know the great world building um and the incredible atmosphere of those games um and perhaps a little bit less on how good combat is in those games the way it works even when it seems like how annoying it is in dark souls the original dark souls when uh an enemy sword goes through a wall occasionally mm. like there is there's there's been always been jank and like awkward points in their combat but fun it's always been compelling like from that game onwards especially bloodborne like I've, yeah they're, they're always cheeses and stuff like father gascoigne and you know, you know other missions there are points in dark souls where you can shoot through walls and stuff that that's there's always that stuff in those games but there's something fundamentally really fascinating and consu- or consuming about being engaged in combat in those games like really facing off against an enemy that is serious most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that Armour Core has as well. Like, uh, there are definitely some little sort of pleb robots that you get sort of mints up <laughs> <laughs> between <laughs> between the real fights. Um, and, you know, there are little sort of like gremlins and goblins and little slugs and stuff in Dark Souls like that as well. 
but <laughs> they the stuff that they do build up to like they do make one-on-one fights feel fantastic and that's an art i won't play it <laughs> <laughs> i don't think you'd like it much i'll be honest <laughs> This, I mean, actually, I, mean, I won't play it simply because there's just a, a fucking ridiculous number of games that I do want to play at yeah. the moment. I'm, I'm struggling to get through them. I'm struggling to commit the t- to the time to the ones I've already started. Um, oh yeah. And so, what's your what's the main like? What's the most the one that you you're really buying into at the moment? Well, I'm just I'm. I mean, what I will talk about is the the game mm. I've just finished, which is Cocoon, which didn't take ah. me a t- terribly long time to finish. So, so I'm quite I'm quite pleased <laughs> I've been able to tick that off, and I can get back to other stuff now. But um, mm. um, yeah, Cocoon is is uh, is great. I've just before I talk about Cocoon, I've also been playing um, the the beta test, the latest beta test for Tom Francis's uh, game, uh, Tactical Breach Wizards. Ah, oh, cool. And, uh, if that were to be released this year, uh, it would be my game of the year, as it would have been oh, last year <laughs> and all the years in which I've played beta tests for it. But it just seems to be getting better and, and better. And I, I don't know uh, when he'll stop. I don't know if he can be stopped. <laughs> I can't. Like, it's one of those that I'm sort of, um, I, I'm waiting for it. As soon as like it's ready to go, then I'll be like, yes, let's let's do some tactical breaching. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I actually, I'm in two minds about that. The, uh, the 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 beta I played so far feels uh, uh, there's you know the, the part of which a part the part of the game which you can play feels in itself very complete, even though there are parts mm. to come. But maybe it is maybe it is worth waiting for the real thing. I don't know. I I, I fucking love it, man. Anyway, uh, enough. <laughs> yes, Cocoon. You've also played a bit of this, right? Yeah, I played the first hour, and I. Um, I'm desperate to get back to it. <laughs> it's, uh, I think it's tremendous. I, mm. it, it's, it's, it may not quite be my game of the year, but it's definitely up there amongst the amongst the ones that have really charmed me so far. It's uh, we, we talked about it on the podcast before because it's appeared at lots of uh, different games industry showings, and we haven't been able to interpret from those showings what it was at yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you appear to be a beetle, and you have a big glowing ball on your back. Um, but beyond that. Who knows? It, it turns out it's a it's a tremendous puzzle game, um, mm. and it's from the design, at least some of the designers of Limbo, um, and I do like it as a puzzle game. I think it has, a, a, you know, a, a sophisticated and suitably kind of mind warping premise in itself, which is also extremely well explored. And uh, but I'll get to that premise in a bit. Moreover, what I've enjoyed about it. Uh, is uh, the aesthetic experience, which I suppose you might expect from the people who, who brought you Limbo. Um, and that experience will maybe only meaningfully be summed up to a very small percentage of our audience as, what if Fez but Vangers? Yeah, I was. I thought about Fez <laughs> a lot during that. Um, yeah, oh, it's beautiful. It has that same... It's not a platformer. It is. Uh, it has a... Uh, uh, and not not exactly top down view, but you're viewing uh, affairs from more or less above. Um, but it has that same sort of winsomely exploratory and tactile experience uh, that Fez projects. The idea that you are in a in a world with its own kind of rules and logic that you are you're looking around, um, and it is also mediated by this is the the Vangers part, and not that many people may have played uh the seminally weird game vangers back in 1998 or wherever it was but it's um it has this completely alien but internally very coherent setting um and in vangers that uh, that and, and in cocoon that alienness alienness is expressed through a landscape and an architecture and like a, a an implied culture that is born of creatures who have a completely different physiology to us. Yeah. So you are, it's a broadly insectoid physiology. So there are kind of parts of that, that the kind of language of the game world, which you can, you, you, you are familiar in a, in a, in an insectoid way, but it's everything, all the verbs of the game, all the kinds of things you interact with are completely co-opted by that. So everything you interact with is like some gloopy orifice or sphincter or like wriggling mass or chitinous limb or, you know, iridescent shell and 
so on and so forth. But what's weird about that is it, and what I, I think is rather clever about the the way the game has approached that is it doesn't try to make that feel icky specifically. Mm. It I think it recognizes that you, the player, are part of that world too. And in fact, that is something that isn't alarming to you as a player. And so it, it expresses uh, through the language of like insectoid forms, beauty and uh and a, uh, and a sort of coherency to the things that you're doing that I think is surprising. It makes me think of um, just in the beginning of the game, some basic switches you interact with are sort of fleshy balls on tendons that you pull along a rail mm. until they reach the end of the rail. And that sounds disgusting when I describe it in that way, but the way it feels is deeply satisfying because of just this, um, the rumble in the pad if you're playing with the pad. Uh, and the sort of sense of tension and the way it clicks into place and something changes in the world around you, which the sound in this game is incredible. Um, oh, yeah. So Amazing like, score as well. Beautiful uh, score. Beautiful score. That's another thing that reminded me of Fez, actually. I think that's sort mm. of, um, feel like, uh, I think that's also the score in particular gen- creates that sense of comfort as well in that this could be, as you say, like a really slightly disgusting place, but it feels elegant and somehow like uh, it's a, a kind of mixture of beautifully crafted platforms that rotate as you uh, float from bit to bit. But then um, there'll be lots of sort of fleshy constructs surrounded by like tree branches and things mm. looking at you and pulsing in strange ways. Uh, it's it's it's, a, it's something like, it's an, an amazing feat to for something to feel alien, but so fine yeah. at the same time. I think that's a really good, a good way to put it. Well, it's, it's very organic, but there's also like an incredible elegance to it in mm. it. And I think some of that stuff comes from like yeah, the, a lot of the as as we will explain, uh, the game deals with different uh, uh, concepts of scale, and yeah. I think one of the kind of um, sort of touchstones for the way it looks is like life at a microbial level, or you know, mm. uh, aquatic life at a microbial level, and you get these. Um, shapes and and patterns of things that feel like they are the kinds of things you would observe under a microscope but in as well as being sort of immediately kind of uh alarming at some level or because of their unfamiliarity there's also sort of uh a symmetry to them that you do observe like in you know the fractal spiral of a snail shell that kind of that kind of or, or, or organic construct which is also very ordered um mm. And it's interesting the way it plays with, you know, the the, the sloppy, gloopy end of nature, <laughs> and the and the sort of uh, you know uh, fractal. How is this the born of nature? End of nature. Um, but yes, maybe to address the the fundamental puzzle concept, you are a little beetle person. Um, uh, it's not clear what what you're doing uh, initially in these sprawling, gooey puzzle spaces. But the, you are you are sort of essentially just doing the things you can and must do in order to progress, and your larger purpose um, doesn't exactly it doesn't exactly reveal itself. Uh, mm. <laughs> but there there is an escalation to your actions that you can read in stuff into. Um, although that is an int- intentionally opaque alien set of interactions uh, to some degree. But anyway, the, the the puzzle concept is the fact that you can pick up these big glowing orbs and you can carry them around with you on your back. And each of these, uh, the several glowing orbs that you encounter across the course of the game commutes to you a particular power over the environment. So you pick up, I think the orange orb is the first one you get, which is allows you to sort of materialize otherwise invisible bridges uh, between particular nodes. And you can't walk on them unless you have the orange orb on your back. Then you get a green orb, and that lets you change the environment, and it lets you um, make these columns of fog alternately solid and permeable, and so that if you stand in the in the, the fog uh, and then make it pu- uh, solid, you'll be punted up to the top of the column, and then you it's, it's a lift, basically. <laughs> hmm. um, and you get both of these fairly early on, and they sound quite prosaic, actually. Although they're, they're presented, like the, the 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 visual metaphor with which they are uh, they affect the world is is beautiful and stunning and weird. Actually, when you think about what they do, it isn't it isn't kind of that mind blowing. 
But then later on, and I won't spoil the mechanics of the later orbs which you obtain, they are immediately more complicated in their potential purposes. But essentially, the kind of the, at the most basic level, the puzzles are ones about sequencing. So I use the green orb to get through this obstacle so I can unlock a shortcut back to where I left the orange orb so I can then open up the next bit of path beyond that, which is not like terribly subtle puzzle stuff. But where it goes then is to allow you to go inside the world of the yeah. orbs. Hell yeah. <laughs> so each orb is not just a power-up in itself, but it also contains an entire puzzle world within it, which also needs you to have orbs on your back in order to solve them. So you you carry your one orb inside another orb and you end up threading this path through multiple levels mm. of reality, taking orbs inside one another to solve uh, the puzzle's there before some, finding some other meta layer where you can switch which orb is on your back. And then later, puzzles allow you to nest orbs Within in orbs. Like every possible ah. layer of reality <laughs> yeah. and then essentially short-circuit that hierarchy in order to take an orb inside itself. And that's the point at which my brain started seeking <laughs> out of my ears, uh, and I absolutely loved it. Uh, I'm just at the point where you start putting orbs inside orbs to carry orbs to other orbs <laughs> and uh, it's very very good and um also the sort of when you transport so there are sort of like pedestals where you put an orb so you can transport into it um the effect for going in and out of those orbs is so good every single time like mm. it's amazing the way it's, it's plunge in it's obviously feels like you're in whole consciousness being sucked into this thing blasted out of it like whenever you're doing um as you say like if you're gonna kind of like put the write the um the puzzles down on paper they might sound simple as a pure guide solution but the actual experience of going through that is like so far has been so deeply satisfying <laughs> aesthetically yeah i mean the idea i mean the fundamental idea of it has been i've seen it elsewhere before like there was a game called patrick's parabox where you were hmm. You were you sort of like it was um, a soccer band puzzle, but the blocks you were uh, you were pushing were miniature single screen puzzles of the same kind that you were currently in, and you could go inside those blocks and then sometimes you know push other blocks outside of those blocks. But I mean that was uh, that's, that's that's a great game in itself. But it, this hmm. is a much more kind of constrained and I mean, for one thing, the landscapes you are going into aren't single screen puzzles, but these sprawling environments that yeah. you explore different parts of over time. And you're you're juggling uh, only a handful of orbs, whereas Patrick's Parabox is more like a, a a very very long sequence of individual puzzles. Whereas this is reusing the same uh, orbs and the same environments to do different things within them. And what I, I I like admire about its puzzle design is the fact that the game is so careful and subtle about making sure that you have everything you need. Right, and like. Uh, there are parts of this game where it, <laughs> it's, it's, you know some uh, weird sphincter creature will will take your orbs away. <laughs> like I got powerful like orb separation anxiety from that because so I was like, oh no, I've lost track of where my orbs are. I don't know. But the, you need to just trust that the game will give them back to you when you need them, mm. and it never screws you over. You never end up screwing yourself over because the game is so careful about making sure to gate progress in ways which you know, invisibly forced you to fully prepare for the challenge ahead and making sure like, you know, like when you go through a, a gate, uh, it makes sure that you have to activate that gate by placing all the orbs you have in the correct slots right. so that you can't end up, you know, you never leave an orb behind somewhere. And it has some of the, like the, just the smoothest tutorialization I've ever seen in a puzzle game. Uh, so it's always making sure you understand the full range of your powers and it somehow does that without ever boring or patronizing you at least that's i mean that's how i felt about it maybe other people who are smarter than me <laughs> find it trivial but um yeah i had exactly the same experience because i don't think i've encountered a single spoken word or pop-up bit of text as far as i can remember mm, yeah none it's just you've got the tools you have and you can wander around and then through like the way sort of the tutorial works is that it just limits your options to such an extent that there's only one thing that you could possibly do and then you realize oh i can um this is very very early stuff but oh uh, i could drop an orb into a pipe and it'll go 
uh, fall down in a, into a different area, and that might help. And like, also, there's only like one button. <laughs> uh, apart from like moving around, I think you just uh, on so far. I think I just pressed A on everything uh, in order to pick things up, swap them between pedestals, wander around, drop things. Um, I think I've just pressed one button to interact, and that's been it. And that's kind of remarkable, given that it's, it's sort of going to build into quite a complex puzzle game. Um, sometimes you have to hold A to kind of plunge into uh, orbs and things like that. But I think uh, it very carefully limits choice in order to teach you things without ever yeah. having to say a word, which is remarkable. Yeah, that is that is exactly what it's doing. It's pairing away all the potential uh confusing and distracting choices you might have so that you fully understand what's what's happening to you mm. at all times i will say there are boss fights in the game yes which yeah. i i totally hated like mm. i'm not sure i don't think they were bad in themselves i just i just absolutely wasn't up for it <laughs> they're, they're kind of weird it's a weird shift to bullet hell for yeah. those those boss fights that it doesn't feel like suddenly you have to be sort of do some dodgy reactive stuff Whereas previously, it's all been very much just plodding, not plodding, but like running around quite casually, sort of experimenting with things and then being pushed into these like three stage boss fights again, um, where they increasingly limit your moment, movement and you have to dodge between uh, projectiles and then hammer them at particular points. Feels like it's from a different game <laughs> a little bit. I do understand yeah. that. Yeah, I think it's. I, I think they're probably fine in themselves, and I probably play happily play a game of that. It's just that that gear shift mm. I found to be like really wrenching. Um, and there's some. There are later. They're not boss fights, but they are sort of tied to the boss fights, which are pure reaction time things where you have to exactly judge the time it will take for a projectile to cross a very large distance. Mm. Uh, and that I found to be quite annoying. I mean, I mean, I am at the point in my life where my cognitive decline is more or less a straight line <laughs> down. So my reaction times aren't uh, aren't up to snuff really. But um, I did even even then I did get through these challenges more pretty much always just after a, a couple or maybe three goes. But I totally resented every second of yeah. them. Um, but I do understand why they're there. I do think the game probably benefits from like the drama that they bring and also some sort of mechanical variance and shift in pace some um, kind of peril yeah really yes but uh, uh maybe that that is enough to, to to take the shine off it being game of the year for me but otherwise i absolutely loved it very very good indeed it's gorgeous that's going to be my sunday this weekend uh, yay so, I, I no, you, you said uh, game of the year quite a few times, and I, but I can't ask you yet because it feels like we should have a group pod to sort of go over them <laughs> later on. But do I you, do what, you like, have any kind of feelings about where you might go with that? Look, weirdly, I'm going to pitch for Midnight Suns. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Loved it. I still haven't completed it. Um, I know I'm going to have to actually think that think about that properly though. <laughs> like after all the releases and everything I've played. Um, Oh, that game is. There's something good about that game in particular that I've, I've really enjoyed this year. I'm gonna have to uh, go back to. I have to put that on my list for the, <laughs> among the many things that I have to go back to. I, 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 mean, I warn you, it's so long. It's so yeah. long. It's way too long. Um, but as a kind of like really playful uh, way to interact with the Marvel universe and some really kind of fun combat and great kind of character development in terms of mechanical character development as in a turn-based format, I like it a lot. You're not saying you wouldn't put uh, Baldur's Gate up there as a as a contender. I've not played enough of it yet, so I'm. I was again like trying to save it. I was going to save it for Christmas, like the Christmas break, so I could probably like delve into it. Um, but I've, I couldn't resist. I've played the first sort of hour or so, and uh, I found it to be quite quite chaotic so far. Um, particularly like when it comes to combat and stuff, I'm like don't feel like I have a good handle on what my my group of cool D characters can do properly like and how mm. to use them properly um and there's stuff like i think uh, i need to get used to the pace of just failing checks and then having to sort of like tumble through conversations into disastrous consequences and i think that's just sort of like how that game is going to work for me 
Um, but it like uh, I'm sort of like yeah, holding fire on having a like a full fully formed thought on that really. Yeah, I, I feel uh, feel similarly. I haven't played quite enough of it to. Uh, I mean, I've really enjoyed the the narrative elements of it. I haven't really gelled with the mechanical mm. uh, aspects of it, um, but. I have reached a point where I've uh, that stuff is opening up to me in a in a much larger way now. So maybe things will change dramatically from this point on. But I haven't been I haven't had time to go back to it, and I've also yeah. forgotten everything that's happened. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, that's always the problem. Uh, but Shadow Gambit that's that's also on my list. I, I absolutely love that. Oh uh, yeah, I need, I need to, to actually play Lamplighter's League as well. You know, talking of t- turn based things, because um, that that seems like that's yeah, that's that looks- uh, meant to be good. That uh, looks lovely. Apparently, um, not so great for uh, insta fail stealth sections. Oh, really? Oh, mm, yeah. We'll see. Uh, uh, Crane crow by crime has been committed. <laughs> <laughs> Call the police. <laughs> Call Tom uh, Francis. <laughs> <laughs> he de defenestrates, bursts through a window. <laughs> um, so, I mean, the Cyberpunk 2077's DLC could be a contender as well. Unfortunately, I've got to a point where it won't it won't patch and it won't play and it also won't ever patch. It just patches to the top. Oh God! It starts again. Um, so I don't know what to do about that. Really, uh, that yeah, that that just sucks. <laughs> it can't be happening. <laughs> but what That's... I played of that, I really I really enjoyed. Uh, not noticeably less janky, as far as I can tell, than the original Cyberpunk 2077 release. But um, good story. I love Idris Elba. He's a nice man. Idris Elba's great. Uh, yeah, so I did it. I reviewed it for Eurogamer, and I, I don't think we put stars on it. Like, So it was just impressions, I suppose. Um, and I really enjoyed it and found the time to be well worth it. Um, I do agree. There's definitely loads of, sort of built-in Cyberpunk jank that will never be fixed <laughs> um and a lot of that stuff is like just pathing just c- civilians interacting with traffic or traffic interacting with traffic <laughs> uh involved uh, and not like in a sort of you know deliberate like realistic car crashes it's more like i restarted the game and my friend jackie uh hopped onto his motorcycle and uh, he tried to, you know, leave the scene after, you know, quite an intense, you know, conversation. Um, and then he bumped three times into the back of a police van. And then he, <laughs> he slightly turned right. And then he bumped into the back of some sort of tiny truck thing that happened to be parked there. And he bumped into that a few times. And then he turned left. And then I just looked away and, and fast traveled somewhere else. Because <laughs> I was like, this yeah. is never going to resolve itself. Like. If well, there was any more dialogue to happen in that scene, <laughs> it wasn't going to happen. <laughs> that, that guy's done. He's gone. <laughs> He's got his own things to deal with. I, I started from a, a, a late game save that I had previously, so I had to respec my character. So I yeah. went to the, um, I can't remember, the Ripper Jack. Ripper Doc. Ripper Doc. Ripper Doc. And uh, when, you know, the entire time I was in that menu, the voice line, beep, beep, motherfucker, was playing <laughs> over and over again. Uh, and I, <laughs> I eventually emerged from Ripper Doc to find that my car was wedged two thirds up <laughs> through the wall <laughs> of, the, of the building I was in. No idea why. Uh, it's, yeah, they've um, like put in a, a huge like 2.0 update that's kind of revamped all the, the entire skill system for the better and adding new extra skills and new sort of like spec your character. All that stuff's great. Um, like from a RPG design level, like I pretty admire it. Um, have they completely removed all uh, like enemy levels? It feels like they have. I don't know whether that's just uh, me not noticing where it says what level enemies are now, but it feels like you. you if I think pretty, they're regional. I, I think I think they're more like um, in like Bethesda games where you walk, walk into an area and they tend to sort of like be roughly your level. I think they've definitely adjusted that. Hmm. Um, I can't say precisely how actually to be honest sorry it's good because like you should be like that game is set, set in one city and if you can't have no-go zones in a city like that block off too much of it because it feels stupid if you if the idea is that you're able to sort of hop on a motorbike and or get in a car and go anywhere you want to and sort of look at the city mm. without being like one-shotted by a random like rubbish gangster um, yeah. it just i think like the city scale thing like changes it more than so more so than like for you know assassin's creed for example where there are regions that it flags that these are high level regions and you can't go here yet 
Um, I still find that annoying, to be honest. Um, but I yeah. feel as though level gating is just in, in MMOs. It works for good reasons, but if it's just like an open world city game, level gating is terrible. I really hate it. I'm amazed that they haven't reassessed how stealth works, or if they have, they haven't presented it any differently. Because you still have this mini map where enemies have vision cones and yet mm. they can spot you when you aren't anywhere near their vision cone and they go brink as a, yep. the, you know the the classic metal gear noise and yet sometimes the brink means that they've spotted you and sometimes they just walk carry on walking <laughs> it's like what is what do any of the things that you put in your ui or your <laughs> or your game mean like <laughs> yeah there's a super awkward interaction between uh being in a sort of first person stealth game and dice rolls and having an RPG system fundamentally sort of like behind these things. So like lots of the augments you get and the sort of advances you get at the Ripper Dog uh, might give you extra moments uh, of chance to reduce the percentage of being detected, uh, which is all very well. But as you say, it does actually fundamentally make the act of stealthing around completely unpredictable. <laughs> because you know, uh, we've talked about like probability before on the podcast and how, you know, if you happen to fall at the wrong end of the bell curve, you get screwed every time or you, you are successful all the time. And it, it's um, still a frustrating hangover from the kind of like core idea behind the game. Um, the thing is like, for example, The Witcher 3 is like the combat is based on loads of RPG dice rolls. In terms of critical hits and uh, even misses occasionally, I think they might change that. But The Witcher 3 was never a stealth game and never yeah. pretended to be an immersive sim in a sort of deus ex um, you know, zone. So it feels as though like if you're going to create that experience for people, you have to make stealth completely certain. <laughs> like If you're hidden behind a thing or you intrude into an enemy's vision cone when you've got an upgrade that says that you should get five seconds grace, before they actually see you, you've got to honor that. It shouldn't be like a, you know, maybe like, I don't know that that's my experience of the system. Maybe it yeah. isn't just dice rolls, but that's how it feels. It does feel like it's not, I wonder if it is, it scan detection, distance detection, uh, rather than dice rolls, but it, it just going based on the descriptions of the upgrades you can get, I th that seems to be how it works. Yeah. I think maybe, uh, Maybe this would feel maybe it would feel more readable to me if if I'd had the the experience again of unlocking those upgrades over time and really deliberating about what they meant. But because it was I was a blank slate again and I didn't want to spend like an hour poring over every single part of that uh, upgrade menu, I just quite quite quickly made the decisions about what things I wanted without necessarily reading deeply <laughs> into what the effects were. So may, maybe maybe. Um, Maybe all that stuff would be more readable to me if I'd given it the appropriate consideration that you would expect across, you know, forty hours of play, uh, instead of just jumping back in and doing it all again in in fifteen minutes while a, a robot shouts "beep beep motherfucker" at me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, I think you have to expect the player to make a snap decision because there are probably almost certainly more exciting things in the game to be getting on with. So, like. Let's play the new Assassin's Creed, and um, I'm enjoying oh, yeah, the is that. Good. I'm enjoying it. It's kind of really, really like trimmed the RPG numbers game stuff, and it's all the better for it in that respect. So the enemy vision cones are mostly clear, and it's more of a sort of like tactical stealth game, moment to moment. Hmm. But they're still like. There's still some, you know, inherent Assassin's Creed jank to it. Like, uh, I don't know, there's some odd uh, enemy behavior. For example, if I've assassinated two people in a room, another guy wanders in and he'll, like, sometimes they just won't notice. <laughs> they, uh, and they'll just, sort of, like, turn around and go back on their path. <laughs> um, sometimes they will notice and they'll slowly walk across. And then, obviously, it's an invitation to assassinate them. Um but you, so you could create these sort of like weird choke point traps where you just leave the bodies there and then <laughs> like a guy, a guard will come towards them and perhaps or perhaps not care <laughs> about what he sees in front of them. Um, so there's, there's like, it's, if you're going to play a game like that, you play Hitman. 
which is like those systems for like hiding, um, messing with NPCs. It's, it's way more reactive and way more fun. Uh, the, the the levels themselves uh, are so like designed like the the lovely sandboxes um, wait, designed for you to let you mess with them. Whereas um, Assassin's Creed is still an open world game that is for like trying to reconcile <laughs> the idea that you can have certain bits of the open world that are a bit like a hitman level, mm. um, and but the rules sometimes bleed into the open world, and sometimes the open world rules bleed into the you know those those uh, the sectors, and things don't quite sync up or work enough for it to be like a really recommendable game uh, along sort of like stealth assassin lines. Um, I do really like the fact it's moved away from uh, the fact your sword does 10 more damage means that you can uh, take on different areas. I never thought that was a good fit for Assassin's Creed. And I think that's a a really good uh, refresh for that series. Um, I think it's just, it never made sense for the fantasy, even though like Origins uh, uh, was beautiful. Like those games were beautiful, those RPG games. Uh, And I really enjoyed exploring them. I took the great pleasure out of sort of dipping into the uh, the amazing sort of like a uh, photography they had, like mm. real life photography of actual artifacts uh, discovered in the area with a bit of history attached in the in the codex. Um, and I always like enjoyed those as kind of launch pads. And I oh I'd Google that and sort of look into that and read about that. Um, I've always enjoyed that side of Assassin's Creed, and those games were really good at that. And they actually had like time modes devoted to that you could sort of be a tourist uh and yeah. could go around egypt and actually examine mon- monuments these beautifully kind of created 3d monuments and then kind of actually do learn a bit of history I-, I really enjoyed that about those games um but they weren't good assassin's creed like this the fancy of assassin's creed is that <laughs> you're, you're an assassin <laughs> um and i think they like the way they were structured kind of like didn't work for me no, I mean, you're a, just a maniac going around walloping absolutely everybody in those games across an entire continent, it felt yeah, sometimes. Yeah, a hundred times, just for one yeah. guy as well. Like Because you'd have a sword that was a bit suboptimal or something, and then like everyone was a hit sponge, so you'd have to hit them like loads of times, then hit another guy loads of times, and it just became, it just, it became, it became sort of farcical, really. Um, I'm, I'm glad that... I think the, the new game, the new assassin, is, is like it's good. I look forward to the next few. Hopefully they sort of like sharpen those systems up and sort of keep it as a sort of tight sort of 20-hour Assassin's Creed game with a stripped-down story. And so far, there's not been any um, total sci-fi bollocks in this one oh, as well. Really? Which oh, is wow. Yeah, you just get to be Basim in Baghdad and um, you get to go to the Grand Bazaar and visit these incredible monuments and then read cool entries about you know what these places were used for and how they you know use how they worked at the time really cool that does sound awesome it's not on steam annoyingly so it doesn't exist to me but um mm-hmm. uh, I, I will I find some way of obtaining it i hope yeah i thought though the um the i'd heard somewhere that the picture of this game was that it was a sort of uh uh a smaller scale whilst they developed a larger entry in the se- in the series. So I'd be mm-hmm. interested to see if by being larger, they also retained some more of the kind of um, sludgy RPG um, time-wasty stuff <laughs> that has gradually um, colonized the series. My uh, complete random guess based on sort of diary entries and sort of notes that you find in this game, uh, which refer directly to other assassins from other games is that they might do a GTA five style character switchy thing. Oh, just a guess, but just a guess. Interesting. Uh, and if I'm wrong, no one will remember that I said that. <laughs> Kane will remember. <laughs> oh, he will. That's true. <laughs> Hold me to our, account, Kane. Our sins are never washed away completely. <laughs> that's what I would do with it. I think that's about time for the end of the podcast. If you'd like to send us a question, you can do so at questions at crankcrowbar.com. You can watch all these recordings as videos on YouTube, where you can find other stuff by us. 
The address for that is youtube.com slash crankcrowbar. And thanks, as always, to our backers on Patreon. You can back us too at patreon.com slash crankcrowbar. Or you could join our Discord community. We're a very nice bunch. The link for which is on our website, crankcrowbar.com. That's it. I've been Marsh Davis, and I will shortly become a beautiful, beautiful butterfly. I've been uh, Tom Senior, and I'm slowly morphing into an obsidian square-like disturbing robot thing. <laughs> Missiles for hands. Well, enjoy that, and your Thank place you. on volumetric fog planet Z12. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye.